This is In the Trenches, Broadcast 18. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morgus, and today I'm sitting down with John Genovese. John is the co-founder of Polite Persistence, LLC, a business consulting and growth strategy optimization firm specializing in helping entrepreneurs and business owners find success faster. Their flagship product, the Polite Persistence app, is an email application that is, according to John, the fastest and easiest way to send follow-up emails, guaranteed. In today's broadcast, we go in-depth on why this claim isn't an exaggeration by showing you how the Polite Persistence app works, how John has bootstrapped his startup from nothing, yet has managed to get the attention of hundreds of entrepreneurs and business owners even though they have yet to launch their final product, and the step-by-step process he's using to do it. Entrepreneurs, business owners, and creatives of all type looking to sell your work Listen up. The lessons and strategies we talk about apply beyond the scope of software as a service businesses to anything you want to sell or promote. This includes art, writing, your own business, whether it's software as a service or not, to a movement of any kind. So take out your pen and paper and get ready to take some notes because I guarantee you we're going to talk about some really great stuff today. So John, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. So tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what led you to Polite Persistence LLC and uh, and this um, software as a service product, if if I'm saying that right, or at least you know Polite Persistence itself, the email app. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it, uh, no, you're definitely saying it right. It definitely is a, uh, a software as a service product. But uh, I think you're also right. I mean, I think in my background, uh, just from really from early college to to now, you know, I've uh, I've always tried to, I guess, uh, you know, sort of do things in, in a little differently. Uh, I guess a good a good example of this. So was how well the good the reason this happened was when I heard a quote from one of my mentors you know when I was uh, one of my first jobs out of college and he said to me he said you know you never get ahead by doing the same thing as the guy next to you and it sort of always stuck with me right I mean um, it makes a lot of sense so no matter what you're doing no matter if it's a business that you're starting or no matter if it's if you're an employee at a, a large company you're never going to get ahead by just doing the same thing so I, that sort of stuck with me and I sort of you know put my own you know, my own spin on that and uh, you know, everything I've done. From whether it be, you know, when we helped compose our ceremonial song for our college graduation or uh, putting a beach, beach on our campus, you know, it all, we, I always wanted to leave the place I was at uh, a little better than the way I found it, right? Sort of leave the positive mark. And I think that's sort of how my background has sort of, um, after looking back on it now, is sort of the way it's molded itself. Um, and, you know, I've always believed that the impact that we make now, this is once again other things that have helped me sort of form my, my experiences. That the impacts we make now uh, on, are the foundations that our future generations are going to sort of build upon. So, you know, I, my, my wife's pregnant. I think we're going to have our first kid in, uh, in like the next couple of days. So I always congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I always think, you know, what is, um, you know, what, are, what, is, what am I doing today that, you know, that my daughter or my son uh, is going to sort of want to want to look to and or build upon. Right. And I think that's sort of how I've sort of maybe molded my life to this point. 
Uh, other than that, you know, my background is in uh, finance and management consulting. Um, you know, both can be arguably pretty dry topics, but uh, when approached with the sense that you know your actions are, are going to make a positive impact on someone, whether it be your your you know Fortune 500 client or you know the end end user of uh, of your you know your web based product, um, you know what you're doing to help you're you're leaving behind this sort of uh, legacy might be a big term, but you're also you're leaving behind a positive impact. And that's sort of the purpose of what I what I've done and how I sort of built my uh, my career, um, you know. And that's just that's, that's really you know the, the sort of the essence of what has led me to polite persistence. Right. So then let's let's go to a brief overview of polite persistence real quick. I mean, I, I probably will dig into a little bit of your background a little bit more, but sure. But so t- tell me about polite persistence. Like, tell the audience, explain kind of what it is, what your flagship product is, and 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 in particular, kind of what was the inspiration for creating it. Sure, sure. No, happy to do that. So, um, so I guess, it, and I guess I'll take a step back. And it, it starts with us as you know, human beings, and generally being just overstimulated, right, and overoccupied, and and plain busy. So, um, you know, I believe that many people who are are this busy, they don't they don't mean to ignore others when you know when you reach out to them, when you send them an email, when you reach out, say, over social media. But life gets in the way sometimes, and our attempt at human action, human interaction, you know, falls by the wayside, and it, it shouldn't have to be that way. Um, you know, you've experienced any time that you reached out electronically, you know, like I said, email, social media, maybe a phone call, and you never heard back from somebody. Um, you know, the, the example that sort of happened to me to sort of lead me to polite persistence was, you know, I mentioned I, I work in the management consulting space. So, you know, I work in business development uh, and I would make an effort to be at different trade and industry events whenever possible. And at these events, I would leave with anywhere from you know, 10, 20, 50 business cards sometimes. But in the past, my personal rule of thumb has always been, you know, go home, pull out the business cards, slap them on the desk, you know, connect on LinkedIn and send a, you know, send a follow up email. But then at that point, you know, this is sort of where the wheels would fall off. Right. Because I would only be able to continue the conversation with individuals who got back to me. And those who didn't get back to me after that first follow up email generally just, you know, faded away. Uh, they sort of, you know, fell into some black hole somewhere never to be communicated mm-hmm. with again. And this is what I hated. Because, you know, come next week, um, going to another big event, uh, meeting another 10, 20, 50 people, getting more business cards, and I'm following up with them. But by that week, you know, all the people I met last week, if they didn't, if they didn't get back to me, then they faded away, right? And this issue I was having all the time, and I couldn't stand that these relationships were sort of, um, you know, potential relationships that could have advanced my business were literally just falling apart, falling away because, you know, I didn't, I couldn't follow up with them. I didn't have enough time to actually follow up with them. Um, so now back to my point, right? People are busy and I believe that no response is unacceptable. So, you know, basically the difference is to, if someone doesn't respond to you, that is not acceptable in my eyes. I, yeah, I'd rather have someone tell me they're not interested than just not respond to me at all. Um, and because people are too, are so busy, I have to assume that for the livelihood of my business, that, um, at the, you know, that you're at the value of my business, if you're not going to respond to me, then I'm going to have to follow up you out of courtesy <laughs> just to give you another chance to respond. Right. Um, trying to th- so really, I mean, yeah, you might sure. be. Yeah. Uh, and feel free, to, you know, feel free to interject with any questions if you want. Well, yeah. I, I have one actually that as you were talking and made me, made me reflect on something. And it's this concept that, you, you know, you mentioned that people are busy and it's like, yes, absolutely. I can, I can testify to that in just in, in, in my world. Especially, you know, if you're doing stuff online, you make a lot of connections online. Chances are you deal with hundreds of emails a day. Um, and, and so definitely sometimes, like, as much as I try to stay organized, stuff slips by. So, and I always feel terrible because I'm, I'm, I try to be one of those people that at least 
responds, even if it's with a no. Um, what I'm curious about, though, is do you, like, so I, I wonder that sometimes people might not respond to something because, well, they don't, like, they don't care or they don't want to talk to you or they don't like you. Or this is, or at least this would be a fear I might have. I might think to myself. So tell me, you know, correct me if this is a limiting belief, um, when I finish the question. But so there's, there might be people that I'd think that, well, if I send an email and they don't respond, maybe they just don't want to hear from me. Um, so I'm curious, what is like in terms of that, like in terms of like that fear that somebody might have, like, I, I mean, I might have that if I'm thinking about like somebody like, a big name that I'm trying to reach out to and he doesn't get back to me. Um, what is like in terms of like the pros and cons or the cost benefit of sending a follow-up email and like saying, Hey, I don't know if you got my email versus, um, versus not like I almost, I, I don't know if you get that question I'm asking. I'm, I guess I'm wondering like, is there, is there any negative trade-off to doing a follow-up email? Like, is there anything, is there any, is it for any reason is that bad? Would they ever inspire or does it only have positive upside in that's terms good. of like, that's yeah. Good. Great, great question. It's funny because I'm actually in the process right now. We can talk about this later, but I'm putting together an ebook. It's called uh, The Polite Persistence System, How to Get Responses from Anyone and Accelerate Human Interaction in Business. And I literally just got done writing uh, the chapter about that exact question because that question does come up, right? When, um, you know, when you talk, when you start talking about the world of follow up, whether it be by email or, or just in general, you know, there's always somebody to say, well, I don't want to come off as annoying, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude. I don't want, you know, the person I'm reaching out to, to think that, um, you know, maybe not being professional. And I think to answer your question, you know, if you look at it uh, in, in two ways, well, it's like, you know, one is what's the, what's the trade-off here? What's, what's the best scenario? What's the best thing that can happen? And the best thing that can happen is obviously you make a connection with someone who's awesome, who potentially has the ability to, you know, put your, push your business a little you know, forward in the right direction. And then on the flip side of that, what's the worst thing that happens? Well, the, the worst thing that happens is chances are the person is <laughs> maybe going to get annoyed for 10 seconds and then move on with their life, right? I mean, the, the, the chance of someone truly get truly, as long as you're being polite about your follow-up and by polite, I mean, you're, you're not, you know, your next follow-up email is not saying something like, Oh, Hey, you know, thanks for, thanks for getting back to me before or something like snarky like that. As long as you're being very polite and professional, you know, there's no reason why someone's going to, you know, sort of go to the blogs, the blogosphere and be like, Hey, this guy, John Genovese, followed up with me way too many times, and you should not like his brand. Like, that's just not going to happen, right? I mean, it's just not realistic. <laughs> right. You know, most people are going to, you know, they're going to be like, oh, my God, this guy followed up with me again, like, and they're going to click delete. And eventually, once, like, well, what I talk about in our system is eventually at some point, you, you know, it's called the, um, the, basically, we play off the mere exposure effect, right? So it, the mere exposure effect basically states that it's a, it's a psychological theory that, yeah, the more you see something, right, the more you are exposed to something, uh, the more familiar you get with it and then the more apt you are to sort of accept it. So the more times you're following up with somebody, the more they're getting used to seeing your name pop up in their inbox, right? The more they're getting used to sort of seeing what you're – if they're clicking through to your email, they're sort of seeing what your message is. And what you want at the, at the end of the day through all of this is to get a response. So whether it's a positive or negative response, you just want a response. I'd rather personally have someone, I email them one time, them say to me, hey, not interested, and then I cross them off my list and move on to somebody, then of course we have to follow up, you know, eight to ten times with someone just to get that same response. But the problem is, you know, not, it's not a problem, but the, the, you know, the, the thing that we have to realize as we move into a, 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 you know, a world full of, you know, marketing noise is that this kind of outreach, this kind of systematic approach of following up is, is quite necessary and it's going to be a, a fundamental skill as we, you know, as we progressed in our businesses over the next decade. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, cause again, as you're talking, I kind of did a little sketch out right now. It's almost like there's like this, um, that you could create um, almost like a quad chart out of this and say, there's there's going to be two types of people in the world, uh, the people that want to hear from you, and then the person that doesn't want to hear from you. And if you don't follow up with the person that wants to hear from you, you lose. But if you follow up with him or her, you win. If you don't follow up with the person who doesn't want to hear from you, it doesn't matter. And if you do follow up, it also doesn't matter. So it's almost like the dichotomy there is like saying that if they want to hear from you, you only lose if you don't follow up. Is that about right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it in that in that aspect, right, like the sort of the quad chart that you're describing there. I mean, it's if you and you look at it from like a um, like a win lose perspective. I think naturally uh, you're going to do more, you're going to do well, more, like you do a lot better if you follow up because at the end of the day, it, these people who don't want to hear from you. Just because they don't want to hear from you in your first outreach doesn't mean they might not want to hear from you in your third outreach, right? Because now the third, out, you know, the second outreach comes with like, oh yeah, that guy might have something interesting, but I'm too busy to get to it right now. I'll just delete it. But now, you know, a week later, you send another follow up. This guy's like, you know what? You know, I, I wanted to get back to him last time. I had a little bit more time today. Let me see what he's all about. And then he clicks through, right? If he doesn't like it, then you know, so be it. But at least you have that systematic approach to getting in touch with him. Or interesting, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and so I have I have kind of two questions. You can take either or. Well, I'll start with one, and then if, if I get back to the next one. So as far as like those emails are concerned, the nature of the app is as best as I can understand it. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that you know I'll send an email to somebody, and at the same time that I'm sending the email to somebody, I can compose my follow up messages and and plan them kind of a uh, pre pre send them uh, or, or or schedule them is a better word. Sorry, schedule them for future. Um, future send if they don't actually respond to that first email or the second one potentially, right? So that's about conceptually about how it works, like practically speaking. Yeah, I mean, I if you want me to quickly just go into sort of how 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 it actually operates, I'm happy to do that. I mean, yeah, yeah, let's that. do that. Okay, yeah, well, uh, go go ahead and clarify that just just so we're we're, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, so you, you pretty much hit it on the head. So what happens is you know you open up your compose screen and your in your email, and right now just so we're on the same page is. When we launch in early, you know, probably around February, March, sometime, uh, it's going to be launched just strictly for Gmail. So if you're not a Gmail user and you're listening to this, uh, eventually you will have, you know, we'll, we'll be rolling it out for Outlook and, and Exchange and all, all those great pro, uh, you know, email programs. But for now, it's just going to be Gmail. But um, so you go into Gmail, you open up your Compose screen, and you would have already downloaded our extension, right? So now you have our extension downloaded. And when you open up the Compose screen, you're going to see our logo in the lower right-hand corner of your Compose screen. <clears throat> so you click on the logo, and it puts you into the Polite Persistence Compose screen interface. So within the interface, and you can see all this if you go to um, politepersistence.com slash how-it-works. You know, so how it works, you know, politepersistence.com, how it works. And you can actually see exactly how what, what the screen looks like and how it's set up. So when you go there, you're, you know, when you click on the logo, it opens up into our interface, and our interface has four tabs. So the first tab is your initial email, right? And your second, third, fourth tab are your follow-up emails. So you literally can compose each email in your email string like you would any, any individual email. So each email can be very personalized. It can contain any content you want. Um, you, can you can pick the send date time. And one of the best features is that you can use templates. So let's say, you know, I, I use the example of going to a conference because that's sort of, you know, what sort of made me think about the product initially. But you go to a conference, you meet 10 people, and you want to send each of them their own sort of email, their polite persistence uh, email string. 
but you don't want to recreate the wheel and write each you know template right that's 40 that's 40 emails essentially you don't want to write 40 emails for, for these 10 people so you would use the template feature and you would literally click on the template you want to use after you've written it and it would populate all four of the tabs so you can go in quickly just customize maybe the name maybe you know something you talked about or, or what have you and uh, and click send. So qu- very quickly, you'll be able to follow up with people using you know all, on all all the email strings or email emails within the string very quickly. Does that sort of clear it up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so then my question is, when when you actually um, you know compose those emails, um, so well that's good just for clarity on, on the app sake. So as far as these these follow ups are concerned, though, what is like. What and and maybe this is in your book. Maybe you'll actually like go into detail on this. But what is like what is a polite follow up? Like how and what is what is a high, you know, what what type of um, follow up has a high response rate? I guess is another question. I don't know if you can answer either of those. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's um it's a very difficult question to answer. I guess at a at a high level because uh, I guess what makes each email um you know what. I guess with the response rate to each email is sort of based on the reason you're emailing, right? I mean, it's, uh, sure. if you're emailing uh, a blogger to be, you know, for, to cover your, you know, your guest post as opposed to, you know, emailing a potential investor, right? Your, you know, the, the way you phrase the email and the way you structure the email is going to be obviously different, um, to some extent. But I think initially, um, you know, naturally you always want to be just, you know, just general you know, email, I guess, response, you know, 101 is you always sort of want to, not talk about yourself too much, right? You want to obviously put what uh, what's in it for them as close to the top as possible and sort of why you're emailing them. Um, and also very close to the top wants to sort of be how you found them. So, you know, some people, uh, I mean, most people get emailed all the time and you can quickly decipher by looking at the first one or two lines of an email, sort of how legitimate it is, right? Because some people might say, oh, I read you know, XYZ article that you posted and you sort of get a quick idea that this person, okay, well, this person's a little more legitimate because he, he actually cited something I wrote. So, you know, he's going to get, you know, 15 more seconds of my time than the email that comes through and it's like, dear sir or madam, you know, those kind of emails. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think being politely, you know, politely persistent in my eyes means, you know, obviously having a very targeted message to whoever your recipient is, not creating that, you know, big mass, you know, email and just blasting it out. Sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of fascinating. So in a, in a way too, and you, you probably are familiar with this, um, you know, there's there's this kind of concept when it comes to like marketing and, and sales that you have to reach out to people like they have to basically like basically see the product or service that you're offering like so many times or you need to like kind of you know reach out and touch them like x number of times before um, before they'll buy like it's something like if you try to get somebody to sell to buy something on the first go round you have a 99 or something like a 90 percent um, you know no rate. But if you follow up like seven to ten times, all of a sudden that increases to like twenty or thirty percent. I forget the actual statistics, but I remember reading that somewhere. Um, so I'm curious, like in some ways, this is taking that same concept. Um, would you agree with that? Like that's in some ways that's exactly what this is. Like not necessarily trying to you're not trying to sell somebody on a product, but but the fact that you're reengaging somebody um, that's going to ins- like re- that's actually going to be helpful for you to get a response and to develop a relationship. Oh, hundred. I mean, a hundred percent, hundred percent, right? I mean, you know, the way we look at it is, and the way I look at it is, if you're emailing somebody and um, you know, and they're not getting back to you at that very moment, in my in my eyes, it's not because they don't want to get back to you. It's not because they want to ignore you. It's because they're busy. At the end of the day, you know, you can come up with 
the 50 reasons why someone won't email you, but for the most part, it, it usually somehow leads back to them being busy. Because even if they're not truly interested, the reason they're interested is because their time's valuable. And if they had more time, maybe they would take a second and a little more, you know, a couple seconds to read through your email and sort of maybe see how it applies. But the reason they're not getting back to you is because initially they just think that, you know, whatever your initial message is maybe isn't worth their time. So, like, this goes back to that mere exposure effect, right? So, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, how are you, how can you make yourself more, you know, perceive that what you have to say is worth that, that recipient's time? And the way to do that is by following up, right? So the more times you can actually put yourself in front of that person, whether it be through an inbox, whether it be through a LinkedIn request, whether it be, and this is sort of part of our polite persistent system is what we call the, the surround sound marketing approach, right? So uh, surround sound marketing, uh, the original surround sound marketing is when, you know, and I think Tim Ferriss, if, if anyone who's ever read Tim Ferriss's books, you know, the fire work, we can all that stuff. You know, he does, he has a couple interviews about how he's actually used the surround sound approach to promote his book launches. And essentially what it comes down to, is, right. and what he said is, he, he's going to go out there and he's going to go to the, some of the, the biggest blogs and he's going to coordinate a, you know, a post to go out around roughly around the same time. So what happens is for the, the, for the user or for the recipient, for the blog reader, is you, you get this sense that uh, you know, Tim Ferriss is everywhere, right? Like, oh my God, I saw it on Mashable, I saw it on TechCrunch, I saw it on all these different blogs. And he sort, you, you sort of blocks out all the other marketing noise. So that's, that's, surround, that's the surround sound principle uh, at a high level when you're reaching out to the masses. But, you know, my thing is, well, why can't you leverage that surround sound principle for the individual? And, you know, and one, you know another guy who runs in the same sort of circles as, as Tim Ferriss is, uh, you know, Noah Kagan, the founder of AppSumo. And, you know, he has this thing which he calls the, uh, the, the quad bomb, where it's if he's trying to get a response from someone, he advises some of his students to – you know, a four-step approach where, and this is sort of validates the play persistence methodology, right? Where it's, he'll first send out a LinkedIn message, then I think it's like an email and a tweet and then a Facebook message or something like that along those lines. So we use that, and that, that's essentially our principle in a nutshell, but there's a very targeted way to do that. So if you're reaching out, you know, so one of the things I'll do, right, is, and I think I might, I'm not sure if I did this you know, with you, Tom, but um, you know, I have, a, I have a virtual assistant and part of our, you know, polite persistence approach and polite persistence system is that I give my virtual assistant a very, um, very strict task, very, with a very strict set of, um, of steps. And, you know, the first step is connect with, indiv- you know, this particular individual on LinkedIn. And then regardless of what happens, you know, depending on you know, if, they, if they accept or they don't accept, maybe they get a different type of email template. Then at the next thing is, okay, well, now they don't get back to you then they're, you're going to get hit with a, a tweet. And if they don't get back to you then, maybe you go through on uh, Facebook and, and respond to one of their posts that they've posted on their Facebook page. Okay, then they still don't get back to you. Then maybe it's another email. And it goes through this process, but you know, by sort of automating it with the power of a virtual assistant, it makes it very, very, very seamless. And it makes it very easy for you to keep up on it. So I mean, that's essentially the play persistent system in a nutshell. It makes it very efficient. Yeah, that's very cool. And it's, it's manageable then. That's interesting. So I'm curious, like as far as as this this company is concerned, because um, I remember before we actually had we started the recording and and I think I was talking to you on email a, a few weeks back, um, talking about like lean methodology and kind of how you were starting this business. And I'm really curious because anytime I, I talk to a founder about something, I'm always curious about how they how they get it off the ground because because get, getting that momentum and starting from scratch or whatever, it seems to be like some of the hardest hardest part of business like once things are rolling and you have you know certain you know certain income coming in and you have your sales funnel set up i mean 
there's definitely you have your own problems to deal with then. But I'm always I'm just always very curious the person who's starting something new. So if you wouldn't mind, t- t- you know, walk us through like this, you know, this this the actual creation of polite persistence. If you wouldn't mind, like how how'd you go about it? How'd you validate this idea? Um, you know, before you built it. No, sure. Great question. So, uh, you know, big fan of, of the lean startup, right? By Eric Rise, um, you know, read his book probably <laughs> like five times. Um, and we applied his principles to play persistence to prove our MVP. So, you know, essentially our MVP was to see if, um, if users want a better way to personally follow up over email. And, uh, and I'm not sure if I, I don't think I said it earlier, but, um, I'm not a coder <laughs> or a developer. Uh, although I am on Code Academy and I know some HTML, CSS, and I, I have worked as a technology consultant, I'm not a, I'm not a coder or developer. And you know, given uh, our small team, you know, I needed a very low tech way to sort of prove our MVP, right? So there's a lot of high tech ways you can do it, um, but we sure. need a, a, a low tech way. So <clears throat> my goal was to go to uh, different events, and like local event, local technology events, and talk with a hundred people face to face about what we're doing. Uh, about polite persistence and just through casual conversation, right? When someone says, Hey, what do you do? Uh, oh, you know, I'm technology uh, startup co-founder and here's what we do, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And then at some point in time, without even asking if they're interested, you usually get a feel for someone really quick if like how, how they react to what you're sort of working on. And, you know, you, you, you used to, by doing it with so many people, you sort of get a sense within like the first like, three minutes of how interested they really are and they actually want to sign up for your product uh, by after telling them. So my goal was if 50% of these people or more are interested and and sign up for our beta, then we should continue to test with another 100 just to make sure that that's going to help validate us and validate it in our minds. So, um, you know, a quick side note, just I'm, I'm very fortunate to be living in like a very, in the cool technology startup movement in New Jersey. And I'm a you know huge advocate okay. of local tech startups, and um, you know I'm active in almost every of the in the New Jersey tech meetups that are that are sort of available on Meetup.com, and uh, and this made proving our MVP much easier because I had a I had a network that I was familiar with that I presented at that I've you know I knew all the all the event um, you know organizers, and I and I could turn to these individuals at these at these events to sort of say hey you know I'm, I'm working on this thing. You know, can we maybe ask some people that you know and maybe get the word out about what we're doing to see if people are truly interested? And that helped a ton, right? That was sort of a, a big, big, big chance for us to get in front of the right people and just see if there was um, if there was an interest. So as it turned out, uh, I'd say roughly about 80% of the people uh, every at, you know every hundred cl- I did about like 200 clips, but I did it in sets of you know, two, so like first 100, then next 100, and roughly at, at both times about 80% wanted to subscribe to learn more for polite persistence for the launch updates and because they just believed it would, it would benefit their business. And at that point, I mean, I knew we were onto something, right? I mean, when you talk to someone and sort of their eyes light up and they're like, Oh my God, I could use it for X, Y, Z. And then you talk to someone else and they could use it for a slightly different purpose. And you have a product now that's very, uh, that's very flexible. I can sort of fit into a lot of different you know, n- n- niches for people. Uh, so we knew we were, we were definitely onto something, um, you know, and as far as, you know, as far as financing, uh, you know, there's no rich uncles here, <laughs> and the, uh, you know, and there's uh, there's no venture funding. You know, this has been personally funded to date, and uh, you know, we've had some interest of investors. However, you know, we're not really seeking additional funding at this time. Sure. So I'm curious. So you got you definitely you went out and you you validated the interest at least, and then I'm guessing when you went to those those meetups, you probably got their contact information to follow up with them appropriately enough. Is is that true? Yeah, <laughs> so with, that's very yeah. true. 
That's very true. Okay. Yeah. So then, so you were building, you, so in a lot of ways, what you were doing is you were going out and you were sur- sourcing um, potential customers, potential future customers. Is that about right? 100%. Yeah. I mean, because even though these guys, so what would happen is we would, you know, when I would get these guys, you know, I'd go home and I would, you know, connect with them on LinkedIn and send them that first follow up email. You know, every point, so we tweaked our emails to say, hey, listen, you know, we want to give you a, a free beta license. I mean, it's almost like a no-brainer, right? It's like if you're interested, of course you're going to sign up for the free beta. So that gave them an incentive to say, oh, yeah, I'll subscribe. Why not? I mean, I'm going to get a free beta. This thing sounds like I can use it. And that was essentially, you know, sort of our, our pitch. And it still is essentially our pitch while we are in you know, pre-launch mode, right? Whenever I talk to someone and I explain it to them and they're interested, I think, oh, well, if you want a free beta license, just, you know, let me know and then subscribe. And it, it's worked pretty well so far. Okay, sure. So now my question is um – as far as that's concerned, so there, there's also this kind of concept, though, that I've, I've seen people, you know, discuss and, and debate is the concept of, you know, getting somebody to opt in is definitely good. Like that's for in, in my opinion, that's like step one. If you can get somebody to opt in. OK, good. You're, you've just entered them into the sales funnel, basically. Um, so so I definitely get that. But but I'm curious about the idea of like giving giving something away for free um, if that doesn't do it a disservice and doesn't. Um, doesn't make it, it doesn't allow you to validate a certain price point right away. What are your thoughts on that? Like, obviously, I mean, obviously, you guys are going forward with the strategy. So I'm just curious what your what your thought process is. No, great question. So, um, so we have a couple different categories of people who are going to be using the product when we go live. And uh, so, starting with the highest level, uh, the, the most users right now is the, these are our, our general users, right? So these are guys who have you know found us online through different blogs that have been posted about play persistence have just gone to the website and subscribed right so these guys aren't necessarily getting any any types of free betas um the uh, they're they're going when, when we go live if they want the product they're going to sign up for our you know they're going to download it for free it's you know so play persistence is a, is a freemium model you can download it use it for free and then if you want to upgrade you can do so um so that's that first group right and then the second group of of who are going to be using it are our public beta, or our public, or free public beta. So, our users, and these are individuals who you know I, I've come across it and had personal connection with. So, for example, you know yourself could essentially be um, a, a free public beta user. Mm-hmm. These are guys who I met at conferences. These are people who, you know, I, I just meet around and maybe I connect with online. And as, as sort of just a courtesy to say, hey, listen, you know, if, if you're interested, I'd be happy to give you um, you know a free license to try for a month. And uh, it's unlimited, so if you like it, great. If not, um, you know you can obviously not have to renew it and, and move on with your life. Or if you like it, it's gonna you're gonna continue it. Uh, and then the third group are the private beta, and these individuals are guys who have come to me and have really been passionate about what we're doing, really want to sort of take a, an active step in the in the launch of the campaign. And to do so, they're sort of working with us by whether they're putting a badge on their site or writing a blog post about us. And these guys are getting access to the free private beta. So. We have two, you know, we have a couple of different groups. So to answer your question, how do you validate the idea when you go live as opposed to just giving it away for free? Um, I think, you know, we're going to validate it through a lot of the guys who are just subscribing in general. Um, but I also think I would be completely fine with if every single person used it for free for that first month, you know, we're going to know really quick if, if, it, if it validates on that second month when people have the op- option to uh, continue with their service and, and pay for that, uh, that plan or to, you know, to ditch it. So, uh, sure. you know. Yeah, so I, I'm curious, and I, I don't know if you actually have, have this squared away yet, but in terms of pricing, have you have you figured out what your you know various like pricing tiers or mechanisms will be? Um, and 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 if so, or if not, you know, I guess either way, what what it, like if you've already developed them, 
what was your thought process behind the different price tiers that you created? Um, and then if, if you haven't developed those yet, like how you're going to charge, what is your thought process going into that in terms of like, how do you price something like this? Right? Like I, you know, what is, what is polite persistence app worth to me? Right? What is it worth to the end user? So how much, you know what I mean? So like how, like, I'm just curious, I'm just saying that out, th- out loud. So I'm curious, like, how do you, from, from the developer's perspective, price such a product? That is, that is a tremendous question. If I had to, if I had to answer to it, I think I would have probably had a, maybe a better pricing model. But, um, you know, initially at not being a developer, right, not having access to the infrastructure to, to test something like this before it's even live, um, it's a rather difficult question, right, um, to answer. So, so what, the way we went about it is, uh, you know, we looked at sort of what our competitors are doing. Uh, like I think a lot of startups generally do, which is a very smart approach. And, you know, what are, what are our competitors pricing their, their products at? What, um, you know, what are they offering for that? And let's, you know, let's, let's sort of use that as a, as a foundation and then go from there. So although, uh, at the, you know, the time of this recording, it's like early January, um, we don't have the pricing posted yet. So we're still sort of ironing that out. Right. I'm happy to talk about numbers because, but, you know, just disclaimer, they might change. So, um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the first, the first plan after you upgrade from the freemium model is, is $4.99, $4.99. And what that gets you is it gets you access to the, the four, the four string email functionality. So when you, like I was saying, you open up, you get the four tabs, you can send an unlimited number of, um, of play persistence emails, each containing four tabs in the email string. Now, if you, if you, let's say you want to send that fifth uh, tab in the email string, or that's six, seventh, eighth, ninth. Let's say you want, you know, ten, you know, individualized, personalized emails to go out per, to a particular individual, then you're going to want to upgrade to the, the sort of the professional plan, which is fourteen ninety nine a month, and that also gets you unlimited play persistence emails. But now you don't have a limit on how many are in your string. You have unlimited emails in your string. Um, you can also have any one of those particular emails in the upgrade, in the, the further fourteen ninety nine upgraded plan. You can have any one of those emails be a continuous email. So, for instance, if you want your, you know, sixth email to be for the same email to be sent out, say once every ten days for, you know, whatever reason, then you can you can set that functionality to do so. So those are sort of the way we're structuring. And in the way you know, we look at our competitors. You look yeah. at you look at Boomerang. I'm sorry. Oh no, go on. Sorry, I was just I was just agreeing with you. I'm just like fascinated oh. by it. Go on. <laughs> No, so you look at our, our competitors and, you know, you look at, um, you know, and, and I'll talk about competitors for a second. Uh, you know, this market is, is, is pretty crowded market. I mean, I, but I also think, you know, for good reason, right? I mean, I think, e- you know, we've all heard it, you know, email's broken. So there's a lot of awesome companies out there doing pretty cool things when it, ter- when it comes to, you know, sort of simplifying and, and making email more productive. So, um, you know, you might be saying to yourself, like, you know, there's, there are tremendous tools out there like MailChimp and Boomerang and, you know, ToutApp. And you're definitely right. I've used probably almost all of them. You know, yes, everything from Yesware, Salesforce to all those guys. Um, even, you know, uh, you know, originally I was using a, a lettermelater.com, which was, you know, a very simple website, but it was before, you know, Boomerang came out with their ability to, to send an email later. So, um, you know, and, and there's many more, right? But, um, you know, what I don't want to do is I don't want to go, I don't want to throw, you know, if I meet 20 contacts, I don't want to go and throw 20 contacts into my email marketing platform because, you know, first, they didn't ask to be on my newsletter, right? Uh, and second, it's just not personal. You know, so you can't, it's, you know, email marketing is not a, not a very effective way to, to keep in touch with people, with people on a one-to-one basis. Um, you know, next, you know, I'm not going to go and, and set follow, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 follow-up reminders, like, you know, using Boomerang or follow-up CC, because at the end of the day, 
you know, I need to manually follow up with those people, say, 50 times. Well, you know, see, what's happening is our, our current email status quo states that in order to follow up effectively, we have to set follow up reminders. And I don't agree with that because every time I send an email, set a follow up reminder, don't get a response, and then am alerted to follow up again, I'm wasting time, energy, and resources. And, you know, yeah, and that's, just, you have that's to, just for follow up reminders. Yeah, because you have to go back to the beginning and, and think about what was. You know, what, what, go find the email. What am I following up to? What did I say last? Like, where did this leave off? Exactly. Exactly. And, it, and essentially, you know, um, it, you know, it's like multitasking, right? So every time, you know, if any, anyone who's ever done any research on in multitasking, when you multitask, it's actually, you know, less productive because you have to sort of switch gears in your brain, which eats up some of your, uh, you know, your collective ability to, you know, to, to, to function, right? So, the, le- the less you can multitask, the better. And when you're setting, when you're, you know, reacting to follow-up reminders, you're multitasking you know, the entire day. So, you know, play persistence takes that additional step out of your workflow and just, you know, sh- straight automates whatever you're work, you know, whatever you're you're doing with your emails. So, um, the third competitor is are things like, uh, like, you know, Tout App and Salesforce and Yesware, sort of these these big, you know, template anal- analyzation companies that track everything. And, um, you know, my problem with this was that I didn't want to pay for email technology I didn't need, right? I didn't want to, I didn't care who was opening my email. I didn't care, um, you know, who, who shared it, who clicked what. Yeah, some people care about that. But for me personally, all I wanted was someone to respond to my email. And I couldn't find it with any of these sort of competitors. So, you know, with building play persistence, we're truly the fastest and easiest way to send a follow-up email. And, you know, we're doing this, like I said, by being a Gmail extension initially, um, but that's really the focus, right, um, of, of the product. Yeah, no, it's cool. So, I so I, I asked some some pretty specific questions in terms of like uh, validation. So it sounds like you know, as as a recap, a little bit to validate you. Well, you had your idea, um, and 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 you you saw a need for it in the market. Obviously, if it's competitive, you already know there's a need. But but you did then you went out and validated it with 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 real people in person. To get their interest and, and to get them basically to opt into a to to a, a beta beta version free beta version of the of the program, um, you're obviously going through you're working through the pricing right now and that obviously could change I'm sure and I'm guessing along with pricing is just the is just the concept of how you tier the packages which you kind of described. Um, so so in terms of that, like how did you actually how do you determine you know what ought to be you know tier one free what ought to be tier two you know, $6 or $5 or whatever it is, right? Or, and then what, 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 you know what I mean? Like, how do you break that down? Like, how do you, what, again, how, what's your, um, what's your technique or, or, or model or strategy for, for breaking down this type of business, um, or this type of ap- application into multiple tiered, um, payment plans? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And I, I think it's probably a lot simpler, you know, a lot more simple than people think, right? <laughs> it's, um, so literally, I, I just did a lot of a lot of research into like what our competitors are doing, guys like you know companies like I just mentioned earlier, and you know sort of I looked into what you know, what are they offering and then what are they charging. And you know if you look at Boomerang, which once again is a great company, they um they have a very very similar pricing model to what, what we want to do. And if you look at them, what they they have they have a very uh, very similar structure as well. So for their top tier, they give you the ability, and really the, the main difference is similar to how we sort of um, have structured us, our, our play persistence, is that their top tier allows you to basically send um, a continuous email for whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and and I think, and it all comes down to uh, to server costs, 
for you know at the end of the day, right? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna base your price pricing strategy on on whatever your cost of goods are, right? And when it comes to a SaaS product, uh, your cost of goods are really your server costs. So I mean, think of a perfect example of this is is uh, you look at a company. Uh, God, what the hell was their name? There was it was that that photo. The, the photo um, company that went out of business. Um, oh, Everpix. I don't know if you heard of it. Oh, okay. You hear about that? Yeah, 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 a little bit. So the, the Verge, the Verge.com did a, a great story on uh, on Everpix. So Everpix essentially was a um, you know, photo sharing, you know, storing app uh, or website, and I think it was a website, it might have been an app. And they were they had a you know big, great user base. They were they were doing very well, and they had to shut the doors because they just couldn't hit they, their their pricing structure. Um, wasn't sustaining them enough because they couldn't bring in enough uh, enough users. And essentially, what the article goes on to say is that it, it really becomes probably more of a of a marketing problem, right? Where you should have brought in more users to essentially get to that you know that that's um, economies of scale almost. As, you know, it's not necessarily economies of scale, but that kind of idea where the more people you know, the more users you have, sort of balances out the the cost of each particular user because yeah, you, know, you have some users who are going to be you know overloading the system using the you know it's like eighty twenty rule, right? You know, twenty percent of your Costs are going to come exactly. from you know that kind of thing. So um, you know, I think for us, it's you know we want to mirror as close to a competitor who's doing something similar to us, and and you know obviously to, to stay afloat. You know, Boomerang has been around for a very long time. They're they're doing great things. They're you know they released an Android app I think recently, um, and you know we sort of see our our trajectory uh, similar to them uh, in the sense that you know if their pricing model has worked well, I mean it should probably work well for us and. At the end of the day, you know, we don't. This isn't looking. We're not looking to rob anybody. We're not looking to, uh, you know, overcharge for the service. We think the service is very, very competitively priced for this. Uh, the, 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 you know, the benefit that users are getting. Uh, I've been told by a, a few people actually that it made made me reconsider pricing almost that uh, they think we're pricing it too low. You know, for the benefit, for the time savings, and from like sort of the, the mental the mental energy savings that this is going to provide people. They think that you know 4.99 a month is is extremely low, which it may be right. Um, you know, hopefully server costs are are friendly to us when we start to to grow mm-hmm. and we start to, after we launch and we don't have to raise the price. But I can say this is that anyone who signs on with us, uh, you know, on launch day and and initially in general uh, and actually you know locks into locks into their pricing, um, they have that pricing right. We're I, I'm saying this now that I will never. Raise the pricing for uh, individuals who are already signed up and using the product. Uh, what might have to happen down the road is we might have to increase the price for uh, users who are coming on board later. So you know, if you come on sure. here now, you know, we might have to from maybe four ninety nine, we might have to go to I don't know, you know, seven ninety nine or something like that, just to sustain our our cost. And I, I hate to do that, but it, it, it's yeah. it's very difficult because we don't we can't predict right now what our server costs are going to be. So that's where we're at. no. To- totally understandable. I, I, even when you were saying that initial cost, I was like, "Wow, that's you know, it just seemed pretty cheap from, um, from <laughs> from my perspective." Which is why again, I asked you about the the, the pricing, um, how you guys went about pricing and creating those tiers. I just find it um, pr- a pricing is just always fascinating to me because it, in a lot of ways, like it seems like it can make or break a product in terms of uh, its success rate. You know, you don't want to price too low where you can't sustain yourself, and price too high and nobody nobody cares. But it's interesting. Yeah, I, I also liked. The fact that you mentioned multiple times, like talk about competitors and using them to um, to educate yourself on, on how you ought to, you know, build your own um, own company. Because I think like a lot of people, um, there's definitely a lot of people out there. I think even even myself to a degree, in, in some ways, 
um, I really want to do something like you know creative and unique and 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 uh, you know that's that that breaks the mold. And some and sometimes that's fine, especially I guess in the arts world uh, or you know writing and and stuff like that. It's 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 fine to a degree. But then you realize like when it comes to actual like creating a sustainable business, um, something that you can really grow and expand, that using kind of the models that have already been created is probably the best way to go. Like use or at least like kind of like looking at your competitors and saying, okay, they're doing it this way. There's probably a reason they're doing it that way. I can just do that and do it better than them. Would oh, you say that's about that's about true? Oh yeah, I mean initially when I first had, I mean so. So the thing is, I mean, we're not really doing this for, you know, to make a million dollars, right? Or, or a gazillion dollars, right? I mean, the, initially when I had this idea, I wanted to make it really just for myself. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it sounds selfish, but I was like, I need an easier way to follow the people. Can we just build an app? And then, you know, slowly it was just like, okay, well, if I can use this and it's going to make sense for me, why not, you know, turn this into an actual business? And why don't we turn it into a product that other people can use? And initially I was like, oh, well, we can, we can just set this thing up like a, like an like an like um an app store app and sell it for ninety nine cents and that was obviously you know completely thrown out by my development team they're like you're absolutely nuts um you know so that, and, and this is sort of where we landed because obviously the competitors are doing very similar things another great you know company uh, who not I don't know if you even call them a competitor but you know right it's called it's called Right Inbox they're a cool company that um you know they're yeah. Gmail extension you know and they're they're priced I think relatively pretty uh pretty close to us so. Did we think that, you know, these Gmail extensions that are out there you know, are really roughly in this ballpark of, of pricing? Um, you know, are we doing more than these other guys in terms of, you know, sort of what the, how, how many emails are being sent? Yeah, I think we, we will at some point. I think we will be sending more emails uh, from, a, from a total app standpoint, which would be a direct um, relation to or a correlation of why we would have to increase our prices possibly down the road. But, you know, at that point, I think enough people are going to know about us, enough people are going to You'll see the value where if you have to increase it by a couple of dollars, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, nominal in, in their eyes. Totally. No, I get that. OK, so I, I'm, I'm going to definitely try to wrap it up here. But I, I have at least one more question just because I'm so curious about this. Um, so I was going to try to keep it to one more question, but I can't promise it. But <laughs> but depending on where this goes. But so my question is. So with all that said, you, you know, you're developing it, you know, well, I guess it's, it's kind of a two part question. I would say it's one is. What has been the biggest hurdle in terms of like building your business from scratch, building a software as a service business? Like, what's the biggest obstacle or hurdle um, that you've you've been through, and then, or that you're going through? And then the second question is, how how do you actively source your um, your customers, and how do you actively build your your sales funnel from the start? Which you've kind of alluded to, I think, but I'm I'm kind of curious in terms of like, because you you know, do you are you reaching out to to bloggers, are you reaching out to? Um, who are you reaching? Like, how do you? Are you actually sourcing that sales funnel to build um, subscribers and future customers? Sure, sure. No, both both awesome awesome questions. So, biggest hurdle, um, and once again, we could talk for an hour about this, but um, I'll try to make it as Spark Notes version as possible. So, um, <laughs> okay. when when we when I initially launched the idea, right? Like, I think like a lot of Guy-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, uh, you know, tech entrepreneurs uh, initially maybe not having too much experience in in, um, in, you know, in the world, uh, well, in the tech world anyway. Because once again, I'm not a developer or a coder. So, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I can raise all my money on crowdfunding. Why not? That, that sounds like a great idea. I, I'll just go, you know, put my product out there. I know people will see it. They're gonna love it. They're gonna fall in love with it. And they're gonna just throw their money at me because they're gonna want this. Um, we do believe that the latter part of that, we do believe people want it, but, uh, the, you know, the, the former part of that of people finding us on, on crowdfunding, uh, didn't really go so well. So the biggest hurdle initially was, you know, finding the, um, 
uh, was getting people to come to our crowdfunding page and, and back us. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, we, we completely missed the mark. I think we maybe raised like 18% of our, our crowdfunding goal. And it, there was a lot of lessons learned, right? And I think uh, this will be beneficial to anyone listening right now as far as, you know, the, if they're considering crowdfunding. Is uh, the first step is to build out, you know, the first lesson learned for us anyway is to build out your list. So, you know, MailChimp gives you 2,000 subscribers for free. Uh, I, rec- I recommend everybody, uh, if you're considering crowdfunding, to to use your MailChimp 2,000 subscribers as a prerequisite before you even consider crowdfunding. So if you're going to, yeah. uh, if you can't get 2,000 subscribers on MailChimp, how the hell do you expect to go out there and, and blow the, you know, blow the hinges off of uh, the door, your, the door for your product if people, you know, if you can't get 2,000 people to subscribe? Um, so that's the first thing, right? And we didn't do that. We were like, oh, people are going to hear about us and they're going to spread the word. And, you know, typical just rookie mistake when it comes to crowdfunding. When you look at that. <laughs> sure. The second thing is, you know, if you're going to if you're going to crowdfund and you want to have a, a humorous video, then make sure that, um, you know, the video is also adding um, value and telling your story. Uh, we we tried taking a because a, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And I don't think anyone really should to some extent. Uh, because it just, I think it, it extends life, right? If you don't take yourself too seriously, but right. our crowdfunding video was almost a little too humorous. Um, on the side of people, you know, anyone can watch it. You go to Indiegogo and type in "play persistence" and you can watch it. And we had a, a ton of fun making it, but it just missed the mark, right? People truly, at the end of the day, didn't know what we were doing and what we were all about. And there's a different way we could have gone about it, but we chose to to be funny with it. The the third thing is. Um, is if you're going to create a, a software product, and, you're, and especially if you're not a technical person like myself, if you're not a developer or coder, and you can't, you know, you don't have someone who can create an actual, uh, you know, coded prototype, then create a PowerPoint prototype. And one, you know, and I actually wrote a recent blog post uh, with an active link that anyone can download and um, and, and see the, the prototype that I built for an early, early, early version of Polite Persistence. When it, before it was a Gmail extension, it was actually a standalone platform. So you can, I mean, and then building that type of prototype allows you to take it to not only in developers, right, to help you sort of vet your idea with what you want to build, but it also helps you with you know, attracting customers and crowdfunding backers because now anyone can download it and sort of see the vision that you that you've put together. You know, statistically they say that, um, you know, as far as hurdles, right? I mean, statistically they say software products have a very difficult time raising money on crowdfunding. Because people can't grasp it, they can't see it, they can't, you know, they can't feel it. Um, especially even when you know showing you know, screenshots online doesn't do the same thing as allowing someone to actually get their hands dirty and and play with the product. So, so those are really the three big takeaways as far as um, hurdles. The your, your second part of your question, I think you said, was you know, how do I how do how are we building our sales funnel to sort of get people on board? Yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> what we're doing is there's a lot of different ways we can go about it, and it really depends on who your target customers and sort of what your what your, your user goal is, how many people you sort of want on board this thing. And I think everyone obviously wants as many people as they can get. But, you know, we, after hearing more about this and hearing more about our product and how many people can actually use it, um, you know, as opposed to going, you know, individual to individual, which we did, I did that with, um, I took a very individual approach on the, on my LinkedIn and on my Facebook by basically typing in keywords that were, you know, related to our product. So things like, uh, you know, email marketing, for example. I would type that in LinkedIn and and my and Facebook and sort of see what friends and contacts would come up for email marketing. We had a very um you know very specific template crafted for these individuals that we would send and once again right offer them the free beta uh, to just get their interest. So these are that's sort of how we got these guys into our, our initial funnel for my personal networks. 
But now that we're and we're sort of past that stage in our marketing plan, it's we're really focused on who can we target in, from the blogosphere that is on you know, that is sort of in the same page and in the same uh, you know in the same belief system that we have with polite persistence. So you know think about like your your productivity bloggers, your you know life hacker bloggers, your you know, automation bloggers, like people like that, right? Who are very focused on, um, you know, efficiency. And these are the kind of guys who want to, who, who believe in a product like Play Persistence and are happy to you know, get on board with our launch. So we approach these guys and, you know, we, it's really very similar. It's say, hey, you know, we want to give you a, a free license. We want to give you a private beta license so you can access Play Persistence before the general public. Um, you know, only, you know, one of the stipulations is if, you know, as a private beta user, you know, we ask you to do a, a post for us, you know, a review or, or something along those lines that maybe you, um, even if it's not, immediate, it can be completely objective. Just, you know, share it with your audience and say, hey, this is what, you know, is going on that you might be interested in. And, uh, and that's been working very well. You know, we get a lot of, a lot of bloggers who are, who are really passionate about this thing. Um, I've gotten a lot of, uh, you know, guest, guest post requests and people, uh, you know, willing just to, to come on board with us and, you know, post a badge on their site. And uh, to be a private beta user, and obviously, you know, when we launch, we're we're, we're uh, anticipating a lot of traffic coming from from these users or from these bloggers. So, in a nutshell, that's essentially what. And obviously, there's a bunch of other things that you know I won't get into at the moment, but um, you know, that's sort of a, a main component of our strategy. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. And again, I think it's like something that may, maybe has done more than I, I recognize, but it, to me, it, it sounds like um, unique in that I don't see often, at least from my perspective, many people doing something like that, um, kind of like reaching out directly saying, you know, here's the beta, but also with, with a stipulation, with that stipulation, which is uh, in- entirely fair. Um, if you, you know, if you want to be a free beta user, though, if you want to, you know, use, use your product before everybody else and, and do it for free, use it for free, that you share it with, with your audience. I think that's really powerful. Um, what's, been the, what's been the response to that? So it's funny. Surprisingly, you, you would think like, oh, like, what's the big deal between being a free and a, and a private beta? But um, when you frame it that way, even if, I mean, not not for us. I mean, we're probably going to have a you know, I'm not sure exactly how long the, the the time span will be between the private and the um and the free beta users. But yeah, even if it was a week, right? The the, the perception that you know that these individuals get access to a private beta before the general public has a sort of aura that it's exclusive, right? And that's sort of um you know a big hook to this thing is. And you know, I, I know I've signed up for for betas, and you know, if I had the option to be a private beta or um, or a free beta, of course I want to go for the private because it, it gives you that feeling like oh, I can talk about this before anyone else even has access to it, right? I can share it, and it's like sort of a, you know, I'm more I don't want to say popular, but you know, I have access to cooler things than you do, right? It's that whole concept of having access before others. Um, so that definitely it's definitely worked well. I mean, I think people are definitely hopping on the, the private beta bandwagon at this point in time. But the other thing I'll say too is. Another part of our strategy is to, um, to take a very niche marketing approach at it. So not every product can do it because some products are focused specifically on their their own niche, right? But if uh, if you have a product that can sort of go cross cross niche, um, you know, you should do it. Where uh, I was speaking with um, a potential business partner uh, today, actually, and you know he has a lot of contacts and natural uh, natural network in the the plastic surgery space, for example. So. Never in my wildest, you know, thoughts were the play persistence going to play an active role in the the plastic surgery space. But <laughs> know that you know you have all these you have all these uh, these small let's call them mom and pop, but you have like these you know, independent plastic surgeon surgeons who have maybe one or two you know office staff, and they get inquiries all the time. And from what I understand, they, their marketing is horrible. They don't know how to follow the people. They don't know how to keep in touch with with uh, potential leads. 
So something like this that, you know, we're going to craft, uh, we're actually going to, you know, part of our, because Plight for Assistance is also a uh, part consulting company. So part of the consulting that we're going to do for these guys is actually craft uh, unique templates specifically for them, specifically for their target customer, and help them, you know, acclimate into the pl- a Plight for Assistance methodology, a Plight for Assistance system. And that, that idea, right, that concept of doing it for plastic surgeons can be applied to almost every niche out there. So whether it's uh, real estate agents, which, by the way, I, I just found out the other day that you know real estate agents are drooling over are you know, drooling over this thing because uh, when they go to an open house, they have all of these these uh, you know potential customers coming in and they leave right. So if it, it, they're getting access to all this all these leads, all these hot buyers, but they have a very inefficient way of following up with them. So play persistence essentially could be their follow up system right out of the box for keeping in touch with their potential customers. I mean, and that's just one. Those are just two of obviously a bunch of other niche, you know niches that this could really play in. So having a very um, you know niche marketing strategy makes a lot of sense as well. Jeez, no, that's awesome stuff. Well, since we're we're closing in on the hour, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it off just just for for the sake of probably the listeners and in, in terms of like I I probably could keep talking to you for about another hour, but I, I'm guessing a two hour blog uh, or podcast <laughs> yeah. might not be the most appealing thing. For some people, for me, yes, but maybe not for everybody. But John, wow, that was awesome, really incredible. I really appreciate the honesty and transparency, and you kind of digging into not only what you're doing, but your past um, activities too, in terms of like even some of your failures too, like the lessons learned from the crowdfunding. I didn't think we were gonna hit that at all, and that was just super beneficial because again, that kind of like honesty and transparency, I, I don't, I don't see very often. So first, thank you for that, and second, a very enlightening conversation. From somebody who's building um, a software, software as a service business, but also just like any kind of startup, I just find it really, um, really beneficial for me in terms of just myself learning. But I, I'm, I know the audience will feel the same way. I think this was you just gave us gold, so thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. And um, you know, I, I guess I'll just say a couple last points too. Is um, you know, I guess for anybody listening who you know wants to put the muscle in their hustle, uh, you know, can do a few things, right? So what, the first thing they can do is that they want to. If they're interested in, in Plight Persistence, they can go to plightpersistence.com and sign up for launch updates. And uh, and I also have a free ebook, so you can receive your free ebook, which is the uh, the top ten email templates for turning people you meet into customers. And it's it's broken down by Plight Persistence template style. So for each template, there's ten templates. For each template, you actually get four emails: your initial email and your your three follow up emails. So essentially, it's actually forty emails that you're getting in the free ebook. Um, and secondly, if uh, you know we're launching Play Persistence, like I said, probably sometime in in February or March of 2014. And if you want to be on the private beta list, um, simply email me. It's uh, John at PlayPersistence.com. Let's talk. Um, you know, we can give you a small badge to display, or like I said, mentioned in the you know in the podcast, if uh, if you want to do a post or something like that. We can definitely talk about it. So, um, you know, that, that's really it. And uh, like I said, Tom, thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. And, um, you know, the thing to remember is you know, anything is really possible uh, with per- persistence and passion. And I really believe that. I love it. So true. John, thank you so much. And I'll make sure everything's linked up in the show notes for everybody. Cool. Thank you. And that wraps up In the Trenches, broadcast 18. If you're interested in checking out the show notes and finding out more about John and Polite Persistence and, and possibly getting on his private beta before they actually release the product, go to tommorcus.com slash broadcast 18. That's the number 18, one eight. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. 
again, I try to get people on the show that I think one that I can learn from and by extension that, that you guys and everybody listening can learn from. So if you enjoyed today's broadcast, share it with somebody who you think would be interested in it, in it um, and who could learn from this kind of process of starting a business from scratch. And I think it extends beyond just people, entrepreneurs, um, or business owners to creatives of all types. So if you have a writer friend or an artist or somebody you know uh, who's trying to create something and get their name out there, maybe share this actual interview with them because it might get them thinking in a particular way about spreading their message and getting their ideas out there and, 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 and promoting their work in such a way that they can make a living off of it, which I think is one of the greatest gifts that we can give um, you know, creatives of all types who are trying to create great art. But then also, you know, again, don't, don't ignore your entrepreneurial friends and those people you know who are small business owners trying to expand their reach and impact. I think this interview is perfect for them. So if you enjoyed it, share it with them. Share, again, share the link, tomworkus.com slash broadcast. 18, or just go to tomworkus.com, check out uh, tomworkus.com slash in the trenches, and you'll find all the episodes that I've ever created, and they can listen to them right there. Another option, of course, is going to iTunes and subscribing, which I would appreciate you doing and leaving a review. Uh, but, uh, you know, of course, only if you have time and only if you, you know, enjoy the episode. But uh, yes, any, you know, reviews or, or ratings that I get on iTunes helps me promote this, this podcast and helps me spread it to a wider audience. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you do get a chance to share this with somebody you know and um, also get on iTunes to leave me a rating or review. And I would really appreciate that. Other than that, uh, stay tuned for some more great episodes coming up. We'll be posting on a, a weekly um, schedule this year in 2014, something I wasn't able to do in 2013 because uh, I just didn't have the bandwidth to do it. But I'm actually bringing on extra staff to help me out now um, with some of the production elements of this podcast. So expect a lot more stuff, a lot of it geared towards startups and, and, and creative um, pursuits. So if you liked, uh, you liked this interview, Stay tuned for a lot more. Um, and again, I would actually love to know your comments. So feel free to email me too, tom at tomworkus.com. And I always, always, always appreciate feedback of any kind. Um, even if it's a critique or you want me to do something differently, it helps me improve future episodes. Um, all that said, thank you so much. I know this is a long interview, but I think this kind of in-depth stuff is way more worth your while than a shorter interview. If I'd cut this off at 30 minutes, for example, I don't think we would have gotten it as in-depth with the content. So I really want this stuff to be educational. So again, give me feedback if, if you enjoyed it. It's really important for me on how I plan to expand uh, the reach and impact of this podcast and how I focus it for 2014. Thank you in advance for your support, and thank you for being a listener. This is Tom Morcus. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.